was a little very soft one at the end. If you counted right, you should have gotten 55 yeses. How got, yeah? Awesome. If you didn't, feel free to stick around after and help clean up the confetti as your punishment. Just kidding. I wanted you to hear a lot of yeses this morning because I thought it might be a way for you to be more prepared to be able to say the word yes more as you head into this year, 2023. Today, we're gonna be talking about what God might be calling you to this year, what he might be inviting you to, and what your response will be. Will you say yes to that invitation that he has? Now, a lot of times, yes and no questions are easy, right? They're kind of easy. You have a quick response. You know if your answer is yes or no. They, they trigger kind of an immediate answer. Let me show you. We're going to try it right now. I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a yes or no question. And my prediction is that without very much thought at all, you will know if your answer is yes or no. And when I ask it, I want you to say out loud your answer, yes or no. Are you ready? All right. Are you wearing a watch? Yes. Okay. Is the color of your hair the real color of your hair? Yes. Did you just lie about that? Okay. How many of you, or did you stay up till midnight? Yes. If you didn't stay up till midnight, did you get woken up at midnight by those who did stay up at midnight? Yes. Okay, right. See, got it. It's easy. Easy, yes or no. Uh, but I'll admit those are easy types of questions. Seems like... The older you get, even the yes or no questions can get a little bit complicated, and finding the answers to those questions sometimes can feel a little bit paralyzing, because we know life is not made up of easy questions, right? And faith is not made up of easy questions. Do I trust God, yes or no, is sometimes an answer. Do I really believe that I'm forgiven, yes or no? Do I live like it? Well, this morning what I want to do is I want you to consider where God might be wanting a yes from you. As you think about the coming year, is there something in your life where God might be having a green light for you and he's waiting for you to say yes, but maybe for you it doesn't feel like an easy thing to say yes to. Maybe it has to do with a new venture in your life or, or maybe a, a person that God might be inviting you to be more intentional about. Maybe it's a new season. Maybe you're in a transition or you're heading into transition or you're moving out of a transition. What are you in the middle of pondering right now, thinking about whether or not you should do it? Has God put something in your mind about something that he might want to do through you. You know, I think sometimes it's, it's hard to say yes to something if you're not sure it's from God. You know, that's part of the discernment, right? Like, a lot of us think like, well, I would say yes if I knew for sure it was from God, right? But we wonder, like, is this really? I don't know. Here's a litmus test for you. I can give you three surefire ways to know if this is something from God. If it's scary if you're not sure you're the right person, and if you don't know how you're gonna do it. Chances are, if those things are true, it's probably from God, because those kind of things don't come from us, right? Because that is not logical. If it is scary, you're not sure you're the right person, and you don't know how you're gonna do it. But then, even if you are really sure it is an invitation from God, 
sometimes it's still really hard to say yes. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Sometimes we think so much about what other people think, you know, and they're looking at our lives. And if we say yes to this thing that might look a little crazy on the outside, what are people going to think of us? Or sometimes we're so tied into what we're already doing, we feel like, well, I'm anchored in here. I'm going to have to give up too much, sacrifice too much to say yes to this other thing over here. For some of you, the practical mindset gets in the way, like that just doesn't seem practical. But have you ever noticed sometimes God's invitations don't really meet the practical scale, right? And just sometimes the yes is hard because it's just messy, It's complicated, as they say. So with all of that, as we think about it, I want want to ask you, what is that thing for you? As you enter this year, what is an area of your life or or a, a thought that you have that maybe has a big question mark sort of just floating over it because you're not sure how to take the next step? Chances are all of us have something in our life where we're not sure what to do, we're not sure what God wants from us, but could it be that he is waiting for a yes from you? In our time this morning together, I wanna ask you to do two things. I want you to kind of metaphorically hold that thing that has come to mind for you. Some of you might wanna literally, every once in a while, just kind of hold your hands out. Hold that thing mentally that is a question that you have where you're wondering, is this an invitation from God? And then the second thing I want to ask you to do is listen really closely for how God might want you to say yes to that thing. And you've got to know that a yes from you looks different than a yes from you looks different than a yes from you, right? For some of us, yes is action. It means you have to do something. For some of you, a yes means waiting, not doing anything. For some, a yes to God means having to say no to something else. So think about and listen for, what does your unique yes in this unique question look like? Well, there is a follower of God in the Bible, and I think that if he were here, he would so understand this dilemma that we're in. He would deeply resonate with this idea of wrestling whether to say yes or no. All the things that we just said that get in the way of us saying yes, This man had all of that. And I want to kind of zero in on a little story about his life because I think that it can be a roadmap for us as we consider how do we say yes to what God is putting in front of us. And as we look at this story of his life, we're going to see all the familiar roadblocks and questions and triggers and fears, all the things that we have that often get in the way for us. And then we will see how even in the middle of all that, he says yes. And here's what I know. If you're paying attention to that thing that God has in front of you, and you honestly engage in this passage and in this story, God will speak to you. I'm convinced that you will walk out of here with a little more clarity than when you came in. So we're gonna jump in. His name, this guy, was Samuel. And he was a prophet of God, which means that he was kind of God's voice for the people, God's messenger. And some consider Samuel 
to, they believed that he was the very first prophet and he had been leading God's people for a long time and the people decided that they wanted a king. And so Samuel goes to God and God tells him, we're gonna anoint Saul. So he's gonna, he's gonna take his horn and he's gonna fill it with oil and he's gonna anoint Saul. Now I didn't have a horn, but I had this Starbucks cup at home. And so we're gonna pretend that this is the ancient Mideast anointing horn that you use for a king. Okay, will that work for us? Okay, so Samuel's got his horn and he does that. So Saul becomes king and Saul has, we'll just say, a lot of ups and downs. He ruled for over 40 years, but in the end, he did not follow God. And the Bible tells us that God regretted that Saul was king. And Samuel, the prophet, our guy, remember, he is now tasked with having to tell Saul that God has rejected him, all right? And that is where our story picks up, where Samuel, imagine how he must feel. I mean, he's probably reeling. He feels like he's made this huge mistake. Did I hear God wrong? Why did I anoint this Saul who now is somebody that God regrets? And he has this kind of what have I done moment. This is why I say he can relate to us. We've all had that what have I done moment. Some friends of mine were remodeling their kitchen and so they were cleaning out their pantry. And so the husband was in the pantry pulling stuff out and he was handing it to the wife and the wife was then putting it in either recycle, garbage, or down the garbage disposal just to kind of, you know, be environmentally friendly and all that. And so they were going and they were in a good pace until the wife accidentally poured down the garbage disposal a box of instant mashed potatoes. And then she turned on the water to rinse it down. And I don't know if you know this about instant mashed potatoes, but when water hits them, they instantly turn into mashed potatoes, right? So that was her what have I done moment. And this is where we find Samuel. He has just put instant mashed potatoes down the sink. And we pick up in 1 Samuel verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Okay, so we start off right away with God saying to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? See, God's beginning to lead him to what's next, but he says, you've got to let go. You've got to let go. In order to prepare you to say yes, to step into what's next, you've got to let go of what was. But Samuel's wanting to hold on. He's wanting to hold on to his regret, and he's having a hard time letting go and moving on. For some of you who are very visual, Samuel was like this tree. This is a visual. It is just holding on. Now, some would, would applaud that and call that tenacity, but I'm here to tell you there's a fine line between tenacity and stubbornness, right? I won't ask you which side of the line you're on. So the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. All right, remember our horn, right? 
And God says, get what you need, get the tools I've given you, and it's time to go. But Samuel says, how can I go? Because if Saul hears about this, he will kill me. For Samuel, it's not only dealing with the regret of this decision of what he had already done, the actions he put into play, but it's straight up fear. See, this is the first time that Samuel really understands what's happening. He's really understanding that God is going to have him anoint a new king. And Samuel's like, oh, wait, that's what we're going to do? But what about Saul? Have you heard about Saul who has violent tendencies? Maybe you've heard about him. I don't want to get on his bad side. And so I imagine Samuel kind of like stalling and, and God's kind of like, Samuel, let's go. And Samuel's over here like, I don't know. This is not a good time. I mean, I should stick around the house. I've got some Amazon packages getting delivered. I should be home. And God's over here like, no, it's time to go. Come on, we're going. And Samuel's over here just doing all the things. Samuel is like the, like the teenager who we were supposed to leave 30 minutes ago and she's still upstairs in the bathroom putting her mascara on, okay? And then God is like the, the dad out in the driveway honking the horn, like, let's go, it is time to go. And we're like, I'm not sure, God, if you've really thought this through. You know, when God starts to reveal a little something about the plan that he has for us, I'm not sure, God, if you've thought this through. And then God says, pick up your horn, it's time to go, let's go. But we think it is scary, and I'm not sure I'm the right person, and I'm not sure how this is all gonna play out, and we're like, oh, what horn? I don't, what, I lost my horn. But God is faithful, even when we're scared, even when we hesitate and we start to say no. God is faithful, and he comes over and he's like, Child, you got a horn. You got everything you need. And even when you don't have enough, you've got me. And I am faithful. And I will do it. And you can trust in me. And he's like, we have been preparing for this. Let's go. Let's go do the thing that I'm calling you to do, even when it's messy and muddled and scary. And he's asking us, to trust him. Because in these moments where, where God's asking us to let go of what's been and to say yes to what he's doing now, it all comes down to this question. Will our trust outweigh our fear? Yes or no? With that thing that you might be sensing that God might be calling you to do, will that thing be surrounded by trust in God or will it be surrounded by our fear of the unknown? We, we find ourselves at, at, a cross, at a crossroads or a transition. We've got to understand this, that trust is the catalyst for obedience. Our trust is what catalyzes our ability to move forward in obedience, really believing what God says, that God is who he says he is, he can do what he says he will do, that is what ignites us to be able to obey and take those steps toward what he's calling us to do. As you're thinking about a possible yes 
that you have and what that could look like, you've got to recognize that at the heart of it, it comes down to trust. Do you trust God even when you don't always know what the yes is gonna look like? Samuel found himself in that place where he had to trust. He had to let go and trust. This is what we read in verse two. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And then the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So God kind of gives him a way out. He, he kind of tells him like, we're going to disguise your trip to Bethlehem by saying that you're there to do a sacrifice. You're going to do sacrifice. So Samuel's finally on board and he goes to Bethlehem and he tells everyone that he's going to do a sacrifice and he invites Jesse and Jesse's family comes to the sacrifice just like God told him that he would. And Samuel knows that the new king is going to come from this family. Here's what it says next. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the outward things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Okay, so here's what's happening. Jesse's family is there, and first comes Eliab, the first son. And it says in the verse that Samuel says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. This is, this is kind of what Samuel is thinking, and I kind of like, I kind of get the sense that Samuel's a little bit like, yeah, this is good, let's, let's choose this guy, this is fine. Like, he looks good, I'd rather choose somebody and get out of the uncertainty, right? We can relate to that. Sometimes it's like, how many times have you been holding that thing and like, God, just give me an answer. Like, I don't care what the answer is, I just want an answer and then I'll do the thing, but I don't wanna keep waiting, right? I don't wanna have to keep listening for your voice and we just want something to be answered. That's how Samuel is here. But the irony is that in that waiting, in that paying attention, that is where the trust is built. And if we believe that trust is what catalyzes and motivates and empowers our obedience, then those working of those muscles of listening and paying attention, what is the next step? Those are the things that build our trust. And in the verses that we just read, we see Samuel's trust keep getting tested. Son after son go through the line. And with each one, Samuel does not get a green light from God. So the first one comes up, Eliab, and he's like, huh, how about this one? No, okay, all right, let's bring in, bring in the next son. How about this guy? Still no, okay. Uh, how about the next, really, no, okay. And the seven times it goes through, and it goes like that through the whole family. Now, let's not miss this, that, that Samuel goes through seven sons. I wanna stop there for a minute because there's something in that for us. Sometimes we don't see God's green light for us until we've seen a bunch of red lights, right? 
Some of us in this room have been waiting for the right spouse, and it's just a no after no. Some of us are waiting for the right job to line up or the right kind of transition for that to happen. For some of you, you see friends in your life where opportunity and and movement and good things are happening for them. And it's not that you're not happy for them, but it's sort of this sense of like, well, when's it my turn? And you're feeling red light after red light. Or just when things don't pan out the way that you thought they would or the way you wanted them to or just as, as quickly as you wanted them to. It is discouraging, yes, but that does not have to ruin your trust. Those red lights do not have to hurt your trust. Even when you don't know what the path is, and hear this, even when you don't know what the path forward is because you've had so many red lights, it's okay because you're not trusting the path, you are trusting trusting the path maker. You are trusting the way maker. And he has not run out of ideas for you. He has got all sorts of ideas for you. When we think we're all out of options and we don't see green lights anywhere, this story of Samuel reminds us that God makes a way because God is faithful And even when we're afraid of what others might think or we're we're too mired in what we're in or just the answer doesn't seem practical or it's just messy, the bottom line is God is still faithful. So none of Jesse's sons, none of the first seven are a green light. Now, the number seven is significant to Israel. Seven represents the number of completion. On the seventh day, God rested. Uh, They celebrate seven festivals. There is a story where they marched seven times around a city before they conquered it. But here's Samuel with no green lights after seven suns. And Samuel's probably thinking, this should have been it. Seven should have been it, right? I mean, God, seven is an important number to our people. Are you paying attention? Did you miscount? We should be at seven. No? Okay, what? All right, I'll ask him. And he goes over to Jesse and he's like, I mean, do you have any more sons? (laughs) And Jesse says, well, I've got David. He's number eight. And Samuel's like, I guess go get him. But he's thinking, eight is not special. Eight's not significant or spiritual. Come on, God. This is what it says in verse 12. So he sent for him and he had him brought in and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So Samuel gets his horn and he fills it with oil and he acts in obedience and he anoints David. This is what it looks like for Samuel to say yes. By anointing David, Samuel said yes to what God had next. But here's the thing. It was still messy because Saul, remember him with the 
violent tendencies, Saul is still king. And he wasn't planning to leave his throne anytime soon. In fact, it was about 15 years until David finally became the king. And so for Samuel to step into saying yes, to use trust as the catalyst for his obedience and do what God was calling him to do, it took trust. It took recognizing that it could be a yes even when he didn't know how it was gonna work. And it is often the same way for us. We see God's green light, we say yes, we act with trust and obedience, and guess what? It's still scary, and we're still not sure we're the right person, and we're still not sure how it's gonna work. You might not realize it, but all of this in this room and those joining us online, we are a testament to a group of leaders who chose to trust God and, and empower and let that trust empower them to say yes, to step into what's next. A few weeks back, Chris shared a little bit about the history of this property, and, and even in this relatively new building that we're in right now, how it's, it's surrounded by wood that is 100 years old. Well, I wanna go back before this building, uh, before Sierra Court, for those of you that were around then, all the way back to Wisconsin, or should I say Wisconsin? Wisconsin circa 1987 where a man named John was pastoring a small church and things were good, things were good. It was a beautiful community. Things were going well, they were doing good work. John could have stayed there for the rest of his life quite happily. But one day, he started to realize that God might be giving him a vision for a new kind of church how church could look different. What if church was a place where no one felt like an outsider, no matter who they are? And sure, he'd seen some glimpses of church maybe being like this, but, but seeing it and making it happen are two very different things. And in the pondering about what this could look like, John sensed God saying, will you trust me? So after a lot of prayer and conversation, he and his wife, Debbie, broke the news to their little church family that they would be leaving. And they packed up all their stuff and their three kids and they packed it in a U-Haul and a station wagon and they started driving out here to California. And along the way, somewhere in Wyoming, they got stranded with a snowstorm that left them grounded for two days. And in the middle of that, you know that John's wondering, like, have I made a huge mistake? Is this God saying, no, did I just put instant mashed potatoes down the pipes? <laughs> but he sensed God saying, will you trust me? And eventually they arrived here in Pleasanton where, where they don't know anyone, where they've never lived, but they're supposed to start a brand new, different kind of church out of thin air, I guess. And they do start to meet people and they get to a point where they have a, a core team of committed people and they start looking for a place to meet for their very first service. But here's the problem. The church didn't really exist yet. So they didn't have any assets at all to be able to have collateral to sign a lease like what they would need. And God said, will you trust me? And four families 
from that core group put up their own homes as collateral to be able to sign that very first lease. And in November of 1988, Crosswinds Church held its very first service. Now, some of those people are people that just showed up and they got to experience a church where they didn't feel like an outsider. But some of the people here, pictured here, were leaders who acted in faith and trust, who said yes to a daunting vision. And I'm standing here today, and you are here today, along with the tens of thousands of people who have experienced church in a different way. Because all those years ago, John and Debbie and all those leaders, they said yes. And for some of you, Crosswinds has been the only church that has said yes to you. Crosswinds was exactly what you needed when you came through the doors. Because 35 years ago, a group of Jesus followers picked up their horn and they listened to God's invitation and they said yes. So let's get back to you. What is your yes gonna look like? And remember, we said a yes could look different for everyone. For some of you, yes is action. For some of you, yes is waiting. I mean, don't hear me saying to say yes to everything in front of you. You have to figure out where is God asking for a yes and then what does that look like? But this is one thing that I will tell you. When you say yes, Part of the trust is trusting that the Holy Spirit will do the lifting. We've talked about this before, that you are not responsible for outcomes. You are responsible to trust. You are responsible to act in obedience. You are responsible to follow as clearly and as best as you know how, but you are not responsible for how it all goes. Remember, when Samuel said yes, it didn't solve all the messy problems in the original Israel dynasty. And that thing that you're holding, will you trust God? Will you say yes, even when you don't have all the answers? What I'm asking you this morning is, what yes is God asking of you right now? I'm gonna pray to close, and I wanna give you just a moment to maybe be thinking about that. Maybe you take this moment and you commit to saying yes, even when you don't yet know what yes looks like. Those are the actions that build trust, and trust is what catalyzes obedience. I'll give you just a moment, and then I'll close us in prayer. God, we come unified with a desire to walk in your way, to choose what you have for us, to say no to the things that are distractions or temptations. I ask that you would continue to give clarity about what every yes represented here will look like. God, I ask that as every yes comes out of our mouth and out of our actions, that you will make clear what the next yes is. God, I pray that this year will be a year where fear is set aside, where doubt is set aside, where we somehow have the strength to hold the messiness and hold the questions. God, for those that need 
a special empowering to know that yes, you have chosen them. Yes, you have given him exactly the horn that they need to do what they need to do. I ask that that would be so clear. Thank you, God, for how you love us and how you choose us and how you use us. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna invite you to come back for Tomorrowland that we start next week where we're focusing on God and you together building all your tomorrows. Because here's the thing, when you pay attention to the tomorrows, you'll have more clarity about where that yes is because chances are the thing he's asking you to and the yes that you give are exactly what's gonna prepare you for the tomorrows. Happy New Year, you guys. Have a great day. I'll see you next week. <laughs>